I'm Brian Foster, and this is the Grindhouse Institute. On each episode of this podcast, Jeremy Floyd and I program a triple feature movie night. Each of the movies share common themes, and we discuss them here. We're happy you could join us for today's block we call Dawn of the Slasher. The slasher film as we know it today is a formulaic horror genre that typically involves an unseen or masked killer cutting, slicing, and, well, slashing their way through a cast of characters, until usually one final girl remains. She's left to contend with the killer in a one-on-one battle to the death. Today's Grindhouse Institute episode focuses on the history of the slasher film with three early entries that would lay the groundwork for one of horror's most popular subgenres. Just before leaving campus for winter break, a sorority begins receiving strange phone calls and one by one the sisters go missing. But who is the deranged caller? More importantly, where are they making the calls from? Olivia Hussey and Margot Kidder star in Bob Clark's A Christmas Story. Uh, I mean, Bob Clark's 1974 film, Black Christmas. After a 15-year stint in Smith's Grove Sanitarium, a masked killer escapes custody, returning to his hometown to continue his bloody rampage on Halloween night. A lone babysitter must confront the evil shape, along with the help of the lunatic's psychiatrist. Jamie Lee Curtis and Donald Pleasant star in John Carpenter's Halloween from 1978. Against the pleas of several townsfolk, a group of camp counselors begin work to reopen the cursed Camp Crystal Lake. When several of the counselors start disappearing, one brave teen is faced with battling the killer in a gruesome finale. Kevin Bacon, Adrian King, Betsy Palmer, and a slew of Tom Savini blood and gore effects star in 1980's Friday the 13th. Thank you for listening to the Grindhouse Institute. Please enjoy. A high school girl's been murdered. Mr. Harrison's daughter is missing. And now at the house where she lives, the other girls are getting obscene phone calls. Don't you think we ought to look into it, Nash? Well, Lieutenant, I guess, uh, sure. You're going to camp blood, ain't you? God damn it, Ralph, get out of here. Go on, get. Leave people alone. You'll never come back again. Oh, shut up, Ralph. It's got a death curse. You must think me a very sinister doctor. <laughs> I met him 15 years ago. I, I was told there was nothing left. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. To uh, make a little addendum here, note about uh, Lovecraft talking about his his lesser work and and how it was uh, purely just as a a sort of pot boiler for himself, something like Reanimator, um, that uh, he said was was just a 100% blatant ripoff of Frankenstein, um, and he, he really, you know, just did it for money because he was desperate at the time. And that is is kind of a perfect in for uh, Friday the 13th, which Sean Cunningham said he, he made Friday the 13th as, as a 100% blatant ripoff of Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, purely for money. Just let's do something so we can fund our soccer movie is what he wanted to do. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and so he told Victor Miller to go to the movie theater and watch Halloween, uh, you know, as many times as you can and just copy it beat for beat. It's it's something that all three of these movies we're going to be talking about today do, 
but they do it in, in a way that uh, kind of perfectly modifies the story uh, to fit their aesthetic and, and their uh, creativity and, and not... They are remakes, but they are uh, their own entities at the same time, and that's yeah. in, entirely because of the, the people who made them. Uh, it's going to take more than fancy talk to keep me up all night crawling around these bushes. I, I, I watched him for 15 years, sitting in a room, staring at a wall, not seeing the wall, looking past the wall, looking at this night in humanly patient, waiting for some secret silent alarm to trigger him off. Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. All right, welcome back to the Grindhouse Institute. I'm Brian Foster, and with me, as always, is Jeremy Floyd. Hello, and how are you? Like, you, like you're gearing for something right now. Uh, well, look, I, the only thing that bothers me is there's gibberish, and they start raving on and on. <laughs> and, of course, they, in that sentence, is us. I, I love, yeah, it's exactly, we're the ones that are gibber. More fancy talk. <laughs> Yes, today we have a very Podcasters special show. Podcasters like Jeremy Floyd and Brian, we don't need pessimism. It's a new morning in America. Filmmakers like George Romero and John Carpenter have to show some restraint. We don't need pessimism. Excuse me. Just survive. You know, you look like your head fell on the cheese dip back in 1957. <laughs> <laughs> and there's our special guest today. Uh, Jeremy, would you mind doing the intro? Yeah, well, so... Um, since today we're diving into Halloween yet again, thought the person who hated Halloween the most we should bring back to see <laughs> how they feel about this one. Hmm. Oh, right, because that's and, called uh, Halloween, right? Yeah. 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 It's just also called which, Halloween. Uh, right. yeah. Which, uh, yeah, never mind. Happy Halloween, Michael. So anyway, so here we go. Uh, Michael Floyd, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Great to have you. Um, yet again, to talk about movies, hopefully, that you really enjoy this time. I know we mentioned uh, <laughs> Halloween was um, not one of the best sequels, at least in your mind. Um, so, yes, having you back for the original, let's hear your take on this. But we're really going through three movies that make up um, what are considered the dawn of the slasher film uh, with Black Christmas, Halloween, and Friday the 13th. I have been waiting to do these three movies for so long. I was really excited to rewatch them. They hold up so well. Um, and uh, I'm glad to be talking about this with you guys. Uh, so however we want to start, Michael, maybe you can start with some stuff. Yeah, I guess I want to do a little preface on on the slasher, you know, starting with, uh, you know, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, which I think everyone can kind of agree was the, uh, the definitive uh, gateway into the slasher genre. Um, even though, you know, uh, Hitchcock is notoriously known or just he's well known for being uh, uh, the master of suspense and psychological thrillers, which I think Psycho uh, really is much more so than Blood and Guts. But it is it, it does have a healthy amount of Blood and Guts in it for its time, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it was the perfect marriage of those two things uh, that made it a classic and, and made it stand the test of time and, and continue to inspire so many other movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I think uh, that, that's something we'll kind of see as we go along, how a, a lot of these movies are, are kind of a marriage of, of different genres, um, and that's what makes them work, and that's what didn't make a lot of the rip-offs uh, work as well. Um, or, or they, right. they did they, not... They missed that point, they, right? They missed... They, yeah, they, yeah, that soul. They yeah. didn't firmly plant the... Uh, stick the landing. 
Yeah, um, exactly. But I think these three are examples, like you said, of, of ones that are all of the same format in many ways, similar mm-hmm. beats and follow the same patterns, but they all are on their own individual excellent films that do it right yeah. in their own way and tell their own stories. Right. Um, so two other movies jumped to mind after Psycho, both by Mario Bava, mm. uh, who, who I think was very much, you know, like, like everyone is very much a student of Hitchcock um, and admirer of him, but uh, did his own thing. And uh, uh, the, the first movie he did is called uh, Blood and Black Lace, which was uh, his masked killer movie. Um, and I won't, I won't spoil it for those of you who haven't seen it. <laughs> Because it's it's a great movie and it's 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 something I highly recommend uh, seeking out if you can find it. Uh, it's been extremely hard to find. Um, I first heard about it at uh, screening at the New Beverly. Joe Dante had a, a, a print of the trailer oh, cool. um, and and showed that, and I was like, "This is one of the most amazing things I've ever seen." Like, where the hell is this on your list of stuff? And he's like, "Well, I I would kill to get a good copy of it because uh, it's it's one of the first Technicolor horror movies." And it's gorgeous oh, wow. to look at, and there are very few uh, good prints of it. Anyway, uh, and it is an incredibly beautiful movie. It's a surrealist opera in a way mm. um, that that kind of set the the, the scene for the giallo uh, genre that uh, preceded it. Um, and then um, the movie he made that is kind of uh, the Godfather to uh, the modern slasher movie is uh, called uh, A Bay of Blood. Or my my preferred title for it was the American release called Twitch of the Death Nerve. Uh, oh, wow. Which <laughs> really? Just just sounds as 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 uh, greasy and and uh, gory and and, and uh, ugly as, as you could think of uh, a title. Uh, not quite for the. I mean, the movies um, the movies a lot more fun than that. Um, but yeah. uh, there there are quite a few uh, horrific kills in that movie. Um, uh, thanks to Carlo Rimbaldi. Oh, nice. Um, that yeah, that was one of the first e. things he worked on. Yeah, <laughs> possession, uh, yeah. E. possession, uh, silver bullet for Dune. all my all my silver bullets. Oh yeah, Dune, right? Dune, yeah, yeah. So, uh, cat's eye as well. Anyway, cat's eye, hell yeah. But um, that was, I think, the the turning point that that a lot of people took towards much gorier stuff. Even though you know people like Herschel Gordon Lewis mm. uh, had come before him <laughs> earlier than that. But that was buckets of paint blood. Yeah. Yeah, his stuff was just pure schlock, right? Uh, Grand Guignol kind of stuff that um, you know is, is more fun uh, in a demented, horrible way than anything. That's Blood Feast, right? That that Herschel. Yeah, he, he. I mean, he had a whole roster of, of movies that he just cranked out <laughs> one after another. Um, you know, and and that and that's fine. You know, whatever. That's uh, that's moving things in the right direction, I guess, in in terms of the gore. Well, I, it's interesting you, you brought up the gore thing. I I yeah. feel like. With these movies in particular, we don't really get to the gore until we get to Friday the 13th. Right. And right. Savini comes in and, and <laughs> pulls yeah. the prosthetics out. And ironically, it was very uh, uh, heavily censored uh, right, on its right. initial release. So it's, it's really only just even recently that, that we got the gore. But, but even the, the censored version, like the theatrical cut, which is what I ended up watching, um, y- you could see the, the difference like charting these three movies Black Christmas, Halloween, Friday the 13th, mm-hmm. and like and seeing how the, the violence sort of escalates, or, or the goriness escalates anyway. I mean, yeah. Violence yeah. in all three of them. But. I mean, Black Christmas does it pretty classy. Um, it doesn't really show much of the gore until you get to like the third kill. I think the Margot Kidder kill is the first time you actually start seeing 
uh, right. you know, like blood um, and, and a right, knife right. going through someone. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I guess the, that, that's a good one to bring up um, because that that's kind of a, a perfect example of uh, a movie that did not necessarily approach the genre uh, as a, as a straight up slasher, because there uh, there was another movie that, that I was talking to Jeremy about. Uh, I think it was Silent Night, Bloody Night, uh, the, the uh-huh. one with John Carradine that that uses that that's that same um, calls coming uh, into the house. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the 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 same myth of of uh, the, the guys calling from inside the house. Uh, it's uh, called the the babysitter and the man upstairs. Apparently, is the some yeah that yeah it's it's like a, a well known uh, 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 urban legend. Urban legend. There you go. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, that that had been around for a while, and and I guess that there had been uh, some actual murders uh, up in Canada. I can't remember what the hell they were called now. I should have written notes for this, but anyway. But it was like the the Black River Killer or something like that, and it was kind of the inspiration or direct inspiration for uh, Black Christmas, mm-hmm. but combined with that mythology. But anyway, uh, but but Clark uh, definitely took uh, a much more psychological thriller kind of approach to it and let's remember this is bob clark right that did christmas story and porkies that we're talking <laughs> yeah. about well, here. i mean this is this is the bob clark who up to this point had done children shouldn't play with dead things yeah in the dead of night <laughs> yeah which you know are, are also kind of genre benders and they're a weird super way, cool too yeah yeah they're, they're great um mm-hmm. you know not n- nothing is the masterpiece that black christmas is to me but um but he, they were interesting efforts along the way to Black Christmas, mm-hmm. um, and I think combining, uh, experimenting with combining genres, uh, which children shouldn't play with dead things, is very much a comedy uh, up until the like the last ten minutes, and then it's like holy <laughs> crap, um, and then uh, uh, Dead of Night uh, is is like a total one eighty, and is is uh, very much a you know an anti Vietnam film. Yeah. Talking about this guy that comes back literally from the dead, uh, back home from the war, um, and it's it's a, a very uh, very open metaphor for vets returning, you know, from the war and, and being mm-hmm. totally dead inside, mm-hmm. uh, as well as uh, apparently horribly monstrous uh, things that need to feed on uh, living people. But um, anyway. But but from these two more schlocky or I don't want to say schlocky because they're pretty good, but they are very low budget and like first efforts from right. Clark as horror movies or as movies in general. He goes on to Black Christmas where he has like an, I guess, a layer of prestige, right? You've got Olivia Hussey, who's now already been mm-hmm. Juliet. She's cast in this film. Uh, Kira Dulier from uh, 2001 right. yeah. is in John this. John Saxon. John Saxon is, is a great person to have in there, too. I'll be there in five minutes. Nash, if you blow this, I'll kill you. Um, yeah, I just I just wanted to discuss the cast a little bit and how he kind of went from these like lower budget movies and then brought this air of high high production value with some great uh, casting choices for these yeah. roles uh, in the uh, film. Yeah, well, I, I wanted to mention uh, I found out uh, something I didn't know last night uh, looking at the trivia on it. Um, I mean, one I knew, which was uh, Edmund O'Brien was going to play uh, John Saxon's role. Pretty um, sad story about that, sad, though. Yeah, yeah. falling sad into Alzheimer's. Getting there, and and uh, his his son thought it was gonna be like the thing to kind of turn his career around, and yeah, he just couldn't do it, which it sucks. But um, but I am glad he, he cast John because I, I thought John had kind of the the perfect uh, sensibility for it. Sure, um, he played the same role in Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say uh, <laughs> uh, Craven was very clever and just. Yeah. Just copy paste, perfect. Yeah, we're good here. I don't I don't have to do anything. It's done. But uh, the other the other interesting one was the Kira Dulé part, 
um, which I guess was a last-minute recast because Malcolm McDowell apparently was going to do oh, that. Oh, wow. That would have been an interesting um, one. For... And, he, and he turned it down at the last minute. So they had to go with uh, a different Kubrick cast member. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, but he was a big star at this point, Kier Dulé. Right, right. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, well, and, and Malcolm McDowell said he, he, he regrets that decision to this day because um, that was... Uh, would have, would have saved him from the dregs of uh, Caligula. Of Caligula, <laughs> yeah. But uh... could you give me the number at the sorority house? Yeah, sure. It's uh, Fellatio two o eight eight o. Fellatio. It's a it's a new exchange. F E. It's a new one on me. How do you spell it? Just as a as a real quick primer, um, part of the reason put these movies together it's like yes i mean of course there were some mario baba movies and psycho will obviously be a part of this discussion as well but i think you know when we've got these three movies in particular as sort of successful as they were in particular halloween also in particular friday the 13th and what this thing was was setting the the template for what became the slasher like and that's what sort of defined a lot of horror uh, as a genre in the 80s, which is sort of like, you know, we start in the early 70s with Black Christmas here, late 70s, Halloween, early 80s, Friday the 13th. And then once that franchise, you know, gets on its feet and, and finds out what it wants to do, um, you know, we're off and running. And Not, and that's... not that it really ever does. <laughs> okay, but... It, it uh... takes about <laughs> six movies for it to really find its feet. <laughs> um, sure. But a glorious uh, journey it, it was. I, I would argue that two is a good sequel. To Friday the Thirteenth, but we can move on to what you, the rest of what. Oh you're no, saying no, I, I like them all. I'm just saying, like, it it took six movies for them to like find what the franchise mm-hmm. was going to be for the rest of it. You know. Yeah, but but the the point is like you know it's like all these things sort of com- like lead us into that that world of like mm-hmm. okay that's what right. a slasher movie right. is and everyone has a slasher in their mind and you know of course uh, the hockey mask wearing maniac <laughs> with a knife. Or you know even even the sort of Michael Myers and the the jumpsuit thing like is 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 the like scary image that comes to mind when one thinks of a slasher, Captain and, Kirk. You know these movies, yeah, Captain Kirk, and like and in these movies we get um, an, an idea of like how how this thing got established, mm-hmm. right? And you know obviously, John Carpenter was borrowing a lot from Black Christmas, uh, Sean S. Cunningham or whatever his name what was his name, yep, yeah, yeah. Uh, was. Um, you know, ripping off a lot from Halloween, but uh, in all, in all three of these, we start maybe unaware that there's this genre in the works, mm-hmm. or the subgenre, I should say, and uh, sort of by, by the end, we've gotten to the place where the that template can then just carry us forward, right? And that's kind of why, like originally, like we were going to talk about this. I was thinking like we should put Psycho in here. But yeah. you know, it, it's 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 actually it's more so these three films that kind of get that going. Even though like Psycho is in all of them. For there's sure. no there's no right. final girl yet uh, in Psycho, and there's no you know you know you oh, don't I, hang on. I, I think Vera Miles would uh, beg to differ with you. But but but, uh, but what I mean, but the final girl in in this or in this format is a girl that you meet from the beginning. No, I know. Experiences yeah. the whole horror of the of the the attacker or whoever's coming mm-hmm. after them, and she makes it at the end, right? That was never right, really right. in. That wasn't in Psycho. The first woman we meet in Psycho is killed within the first twenty-five minutes of the movie. Right. Um, that's and the I think that that's twist. where this, um, you know, this is that format that you're talking about. What the slasher film is and what it means. It came from these these three. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Which I was going to say is kind of an unfortunate thing that uh, Hitchcock took that and uh, flipped it on its head before it even existed, you know? Yeah. He, he, he took the final girl and killed her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. Which is also part of the reason why, I mean, like, you know, Psycho, like I said, it's kind of in the DNA of all these films, but not exactly the same as the formula that they're sort of following going forward here. You know, right, and then, right. and then all, all of these ones um, definitely deal with uh, sexuality and, you know, uh, the idea of more liberated women and all these other things. And, you know, some of the repressions and, like, some of the, the way that these things look at it. And they, they all have that, that sort of, like, particular uh, uh, slant to them. The way that, you know, Psycho doesn't quite have uh, in it as well. Yeah. But, yeah, let's get going with uh, Black Christmas. You want to kick it off there? Let's talk Black Christmas. Remind, I was reminded of how amazing Black Christmas is watching this. Um, thank you for picking this as one of the movies, Jeremy. Uh, this was a good one. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I forgot how, um, effective this movie is from the get go. And I forgot how much, uh, it really did establish in this world. Um, there's a lot of the POV shots and the, the, okay. Um, so yeah, sorry, let, let, let me interrupt you. I, I, that, that's why I wanted to like, uh, bring that point up because there it's, it's interesting. I, I looked at all three of the movies and they all kind of roughly start the same way, mm-hmm. which, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Um, they they all start with a, with the a POV shot. Well, they, they all they all start they all start with a with a shot of a place. Um, in Black Christmas, it's a house. In Halloween, it's it's a, a pumpkin going into the Myers house. Uh, and then um, Friday the Thirteenth, it's um, it starts off in the bay and then it heads over to the pavilion uh, where the counselors are. Mm-hmm. And and all of them start uh, with a POV. Um, of, of a mystery person you don't know. I mean, it's 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 the omnipotent camera at first, and then it's a POV of someone. Um, they both they both shift uh, to a POV, um, and and yeah, it's I it's weird because as many times as I've seen the movies, it ne- it just sort of never uh, occurred to me that they all start exactly the same way. Right. Um, you know, and Halloween has the the very famous uh, uh, panic light. Um, What's it called? P- Panaglide, yeah. It's 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 the Panavision version of the Steadicam. Steadicam, yes. Um, has that? Sorry, yeah, that's right. Uh, Steadicam shot, which is was why they were able to like run around the sides and then run to the back. Black Christmas felt like a straight up handheld. Uh, it didn't. It, the right. only the only thing that they were talking about in some of the stuff I was looking at was that they built a like a body harness for the camera for the cameraman. Right. So he could climb up. He the, could do uh, he could do the trellis work, and then he could also do trellis. the tantrums that. Um, what was his name? Bobby, whatever the, uh, the Billy. Billy, yeah, Billy slash <laughs> Ethel, or whatever the other Gladys. Agnes. Agnes. Sorry, I'm getting the names all mixed up. But the Billy Agnes um, crazy character, he was doing those tantrums with that same uh, rig on his chest or on his right. Um, however, right. he had that rigged up to him and just throwing shit around the room. So it was just <laughs> him doing the acting. Oh yeah, that was another thing I wanted to mention. In uh, I won't keep referring to this too much because no one else watched it. But uh, Twitch of the Death Nerve. <laughs> has a, a very similar opening of, of a cabin on the bay, which is kind of where the whole action takes place. And it pans over from there to an eye, this disembodied eye staring out at these people, which I thought was a very clear thing that, that Black Christmas kind of yeah. borrowed or referenced. They, they did a lot with, with Billy Agnes's eyes. Um, they never showed the, the killer in this, and I was going to bring that up to you guys and how you felt yeah. about that, that they right. never revealed who this person was. It was it's, just it's a random. It's still like one of the most terrifying things uh, in in cinema is is uh, Olivia Hussey coming upstairs 
Uh, well, I mean, really, the whole scene of her screaming for her friends, slowly realizing that they're dead, yeah. um, or or they're not they're not going to be responding, and then you know creeping up the stairs and and peering through the door and seeing that little eye through yeah. the, the 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 crack in the door is is still one of the scariest things I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. Still gives me chills. Well, I think I think taking that even further on into the movie. I mean, the, the end of the movie is, is similar to Friday the 13th, where our final girl, Olivia Hussey, and this one is, is in bed. She's recovering from this traumatic event yep. that went on. Everyone's in the room with her. And then we get the slow crawl through the house, and the attic still has Billy Agnes there making little right. noises, and, you know, the, right. the terror goes well, on. Th- that's interesting you said that, because, like, when I was seeing the ending of Friday the 13th, I was like, oh, okay, because they did the jump scare dream ending, I was like, oh, they're just ripping off Carrie, right? And it's like, right, right, right. Yeah. She w- wakes up in the hospital and stuff. Yeah. But, th- but then you're right. It, it actually probably is uh, some of that with Black Christmas, too, where it's like it's the, the Olivia Hussey uh, character. Yeah. Well, and it's, 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 all, it's all three of them. They, 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 all, they all three are still out there. Like, like, like that's, that's how they all mm-hmm. end is, is uh, you, like you, the audience, no, Billy is still out there. Even after Loomis shot him six times, and, and, and even after Loomis, <laughs> yeah, and got like six inches of a knitting needle in his neck. <laughs> yeah, yeah he got exactly. Fucked up at the end. Of the <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing with with Halloween um, that that I think if you were to to stop watching the series at that point, uh, that's that's kind of the the perfect uh, metaphor for for the the birth of the slasher uh, villain. Mm-hmm. You know, as as a character, because I mean, Billy, right. you you only ever get to see little bits and pieces of him, but he is not a, a fully formed character. He's not uh, mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. that marketing could get behind and create a persona over. That brings up a bit of an interesting trivia: is that Bob Clark and John Carpenter were working on something um, right. around this time. Carpenter said to Bob, "I love." Black Christmas, you know, he's like, would you like to do anything companion to that, any sequel or anything? And Bob's like, no, we we visited that. But if I was going to do something, Billy would have been caught eventually. In the beginning of the new movie, Black Christmas 2, or whatever the hell you call it, he's already uh-huh. in, you know, the insane asylum, but he escapes, and then he escapes on Halloween night. So it goes from your Christmas to Halloween, and, and you know, John kind right. of took And he's took waiting for this night! <laughs> Well, and, and that's that's the ironic part was was that um, you know Halloween was not a script that that Carpenter wrote. It was brought to him as the Babysitter Murders, and and he rewrote it as Halloween with with Deborah Hill. Wait, which, so the, the Babysitter Murders he didn't have anything to do with uh, when it came to him? No, some someone else wrote it. I don't remember who, or maybe it was just an idea or something. Oh. Um, like that was that's how it was presented to him. Was just a, a guy who goes around killing uh, babysitters, and maybe, maybe it was kind of a low rent ripoff of uh, Black Christmas in a way. Although I, I don't, I don't think there were phone calls involved. I mean, it's weird because there are phone calls in Halloween. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, the, the polar opposite, where breathing. he's just breathing, mm-hmm. yeah, and not not saying anything, which is uh, equally terrifying. Right. Um, it's but, like that um, first phone call that Lori gets in her bedroom, and she hangs up immediately. They call back, and it's like it right. turns out it was just Nancy Loomis. Uh, I, I was chewing. Chewing. I yeah. was chewing. <laughs> I thought it was an obscene phone call. Yeah. <laughs> oh, now you're hearing obscene chewing. Oh, that's what it was. <laughs> which, which is also what, what, what they said in uh, Black Christmas is like, no, that's the Mormon Tabernacle's uh, annual obscene phone call. Could that be one person? No, Claire, that's the Mormon Tabernacle Choir doing their annual obscene phone call. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, um, 
but can I can I bring up the humor of Black Christmas because mm-hmm. the, I think the writing and 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 all that was fantastic in this movie. It takes you on a ride. One second you're seeing some girl getting suffocated with a, a laundry bag or a, a, a dry cleaning yeah. bag. Yeah. And then the next you've got Marion Waldman is her name, uh, the house mother. Oh yeah. Sipping Mac. <laughs> sipping her sherry in different areas of that she keeps hiding in different areas of the the sorority house, right. you know, and she was right. just. Who was originally going to be played by Betty Davis? Right. Uh, I right. Oh that. wow! I thought that was pretty interesting that this cast could have been even more elevated than it already was. Um, yeah. Well, and, and then you got that that sergeant guy and, and his thing. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, like, yeah, Sergeant yeah. Nash, the, the, the precursor yeah. to uh, Ernest P. Whirl. Yeah. <laughs> very very much. Also, yeah. I I love that uh, that her name is Mrs. Mack and that's like the name of one of the moms one of the characters on Sunny. you know it's like they, oh, you know, oh, it's called oh. her Mrs. Mack Mrs. Mack <laughs> I'm looking for Mrs. Mack is she in? yeah so watching a little TV outside huh? I like the fresh air why don't we go inside and have a little fun? don't find you attractive what? I think you're an ugly man you think I'm ugly? yeah I'm not ugly you're ugly yeah <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Never thought about that. Um, interesting. Speaking of that POV thing, real quick, uh, just to go back for a second, like the the opening POV in this one in Black Christmas is so interesting because you know it's it's so unsteady and mm-hmm. it's, it's very handheld. There are a lot of sort of what seem like subjective shots that are on sticks looking through those windows as well. Right. But that first one, it's so unsettling because it's it's so wide and it's it's so kind of shaky and everything. It, it's kind of getting you into this this uh, crazy headspace. And you can right. definitely feel the influence on that with Evil Dead, right? The, the sure. sort of shaky cam. Right, Absolutely. right, exactly. And, and, and the way that that made you feel while, while you were you know, looking to that, that point of view, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, because the, the, the music, the Carl Zitter music, is kind of similar to what they did in Evil Dead. Uh, and, it, and it feels like, I mean, and, I mean what, what he said was like he used forks and like broken piano wire and stuff and... Uh, all kinds of weird, different uh, methods of, of getting that sound. I think they said they used, oh, really? actually, the broken piano that, that Cure Delay oh, destroys. Really? <laughs> they, they, they took out pieces of it and, and made all kinds of weird sounds with it. That um, guy did not which, paint which a is... good enough picture of, for himself with uh, all of this shit going on. Like, just going ape <laughs> well, shit at any to, one to time. To be fair, he had been practicing all day, and his shit just got <laughs> fucked up. So, yeah. you know. I went to space, goddammit. I was yeah. almost killed by a computer, <laughs> goddammit. Um, I, I feel like this one, too, had a, a lot of uh, connections to different things. Obviously, it's the same person who ended up directing A Christmas Story later on in his career. But how weird is it that the house that we see, that that staircase looks exactly like the staircase where Ralphie comes down with like the, the pink bunny slippers or whatever? <laughs> right. And... <laughs> Go try that on. (laughs) He looks like a deranged Easter bunny. (laughs) And and, and it's it's funny too, because to 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 divert on Christmas Story for a minute, like because Christmas Story always kind of bothered me. Like it 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 always felt like 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 there was something kind of seething underneath all all the humor. Uh Because it's yeah, what was going on in the basement? Where's all that black smoke coming from? (laughs) Well, I mean, it's like there's nothing in the story, you know, that that's overly creepy. But it, I guess just aesthetically, it, it has something in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's kind of a graininess to it, too. Yeah, like yeah. It, it feels grimy. 
Like it, it feels like it could have easily been a horror movie yeah. if, if they wanted it to. I feel like it's like almost like they did that, you know, Vaseline on the on the lens uh-huh. or something to make the light yeah. bloom. But in a, in a way, it's got that quality of like a Norman Rockwell painting or something, especially right, with the Christmas right. Story. And this one too, I think it shares. I'm assuming it's the same DP, but it shares a very similar look. Um, those the lights and the, the Christmas lights and everything bloom the same way they do in a Christmas Story. And I'm like. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, going back to the tone of the humor. Right, right, right. I mean, and, and that I think is what makes it the masterpiece to me um, is that yeah. Clark Clark found that right balance um, of, of enough realistic mm-hmm. sounding humor from, from kids, which I guess, and especially at that time, there hadn't been that many movies of kids talking like the way kids talk. And, and you know, all, even though the they all they kind really of look talk, like adults. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's right. a, there's a, legitimacy given to the whole um of 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 the of the movie by that humor mm-hmm. um and i totally I, I feel like that, <laughs> yeah. exactly. but i think margot kidder's performance was an exact example of that you know she was <laughs> right. a partier she would get drunk all the time but the thing she would talk about when she was drunk came off very intelligent you know about the turtles having sex and, and all, like these strange Stories yeah, right, right. She didn't, you know, it, was, it was just no. I mean, but it, it, her her character is perfectly set up uh, by by her. You can tell her relationship with her mother is horrible, uh, and mm-hmm. you can tell she's kind of an abused uh, person that's uh, just kind of barely clinging to her sanity via alcoholism, as as I'm sure a lot of people were in the '70s. But um, no, but she uh, she perfectly embodies the kind of dour uh, spirit that's sort of hanging over everything. Everything should be very festive, but everyone's just kind of dying inside. Uh, and she she's kind of the progenitor of that in, in the movie, being kind of the, the truly sad, broken one to begin with. Well, and there's a lot of like parallels with her and Mrs. Mac. Right? Yeah, right, right. You could see like a younger version of each, right? I, I know a professional virgin when I see one. And yeah. speaking of professional <laughs> virgins. <laughs> and, and then she like... It's almost as if like she was going to inherit those duties. Yes, you know later on. Well, yeah, and that, that's another interesting thing um, in, in talking about the sex and, and killing trope of, of slasher movies, because mm-hmm. um, Barb never has sex in the movie, but she talks about it mm-hmm. um, in a way that that sort of makes her the prime candidate to be murdered. Uh, although ironically, it's it's a virginal uh, type that gets murdered first. Um, I mean, I mean the most uh, Lynn Lowry does, or not Lynn Lowry, uh, Lynn uh, Griffin does is. Um, uh, kiss Art Hindle before uh, getting suffocated, but mm-hmm. um, no. But the, the same with the the Nancy uh, Loomis character in Halloween, right? Right, right. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that's I, a good I, point. I, I'm trying to think. It's, it's P, I think PJ Souls is the only one who has sex in, in Halloween. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, except for maybe Michael Myers' sister. Judith. Well, okay. So I, I guess yeah. I would say uh, going back to Psycho. Yeah. Janet Lee's uh, right, right, right. having you know a, a, a torrid affair or whatever with John Gavin. Mm-hmm. Um, I is 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 Gavin married in, in Psycho? I can't remember. No, but the thing is that like you know it's 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 less their affair and and her. Uh, well, it's her stealing the money is, is like her doing bad. Well, but but the the sort of like the way that the, the sexuality relates to violence in in Psycho is that. Norman sees Marion undressing. Right. He gets excited. The the mother side of him, you know, it's, wants to punish furious. him and then and, and, you right. know, goes and kills it, right? 
Right, right, right. But but it's 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 a very similar like connection in the, in the sense that like you know you have you know a killer driven crazy by sexuality, right? Right, which which it, and then is very evident in, or in the way de facto Billy, doing that anyway. Right, right, and, and then that's that's very evident in the way Billy talks on the phone initially. He's, he's very sexually perverse and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but that's all know. we get from Billy. That's that's how effective that voice on the phone was. Is that yeah. we get a whole backstory about him and we can put piece that together. But just from the little the occasional word that you can hear clearly said as right. he's saying it. But because a lot of the stuff was, you know, hi, I'm Billy, you know, and, and I'm Agnes as well. You know, it was depending on like who he was mm-hmm. at the time. Well, I, I think it was uh, the, the the Agnes stuff was was very much a separate person because, you know, don't don't tell him what, what we did with the baby, Agnes. Like he it, it, I feel like he's talking about Agnes, uh, but at the same time, he's like talking to Agnes as, as you his mean that's the same person personalities occupying the same body type of thing like different personalities that's how i see it well yeah i mean he's he's talking about don't tell him what we did to the baby agnes mm-hmm. and and he's talking about the baby agnes but he's talking to agnes but, but, but it's like the norman mother talking to himself right right but right but there there, there are more than people inside of norman's Put head type of thing. right right yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah exactly A little, a little factoid about that. The guy, Nick Mancuso, that did the voice on the phone, he did some of those voices while hanging upside down to constrict his right. voice coming out to just uh, make it squeal. All kinds and of crazy it, shit. Yeah. The, they, they had, I think they said they had three or four people doing it. Bob Clark was one of them. And then a, a woman, uh, I can't remember. I, I, don't think, I don't think Nick remembered who it was, but th- there, was someone, there was someone else uh, in there doing, doing the cackles and stuff. I mean, it's just it's just mind blowing. Yeah, there, there's a there's a bit of uh, it loses me a little bit when he's screaming up there and no one can actually hear him downstairs. They can only hear him on the phone, which they don't build them like they used to. They have great insulation in the house. Yeah, right. <laughs> that attic must be super warm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that's true. Yeah. Uh, hmm. It's a it's an interesting little plot hole that no one ever talks about. But yeah. Um, I I love there was that sh- a couple times that they would have this shot of like going down to the basement, and every time someone would first get into the basement, the shot looked exactly like the shot in uh, Nightmare. Uh, what's it not not Nightmare, Night of the Living Dead. Oh, Night of the oh, Living Dead. Exactly yeah, yeah, like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The shot of Night of the Living Dead, where it's like you know you're going down to that basement, and like it's just that little piece of the stairway, and like the way the door opens, it's crazy. It was just like a weird image that looked exactly like it. Right, and, right. And I'm sure they're like setting it up like, awesome, we got the Night of Living Dead <laughs> shot, you know? No, well, and, yeah. and you know, uh, um, I would love to uh, have been Children there. Shouldn't Play with Dead Things was like the first uh, real zombie movie after Night. Um, so I, I think I think Bob was kind of in, entitled to, to do, to, to <laughs> rip, rip that off uh, as, as well as he could. Yeah. Um, but um, I mean, I guess to end Black Christmas, um, it does have kind of a, a perfect both spooky and comedic ending with with that telephone ringing um because it's yeah, it's just pulling back right. slowly spooky, and and yeah. and if they really wanted to the, to like frighten the audience you would have cut as soon as you go back up the ladder into the attic and and see Mrs. Mack and um and uh, everybody Lynn, Lynn, Lynn there <laughs> yeah. with the bag over her face and Billy talking to himself you know like that that right, that would have right. been like the, the the typical place to cut but it cuts with Lynn's bagged face in the window mm-hmm. and just slowly pulling back, and then the phone starts ringing again, and you're like, 
oh, great. You know, it's like, it's starting all over again. They accomplished nothing. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, which, uh, which is, again, it's, it's both kind of comedic and, and absolutely <laughs> horrifying at the same time. Yeah. I, I guess because of maybe the, some of the ironic distance, it, it, it does kind of make it kind of funny, but, uh, yeah, it I, just, it's just <laughs> the, the timing of it is, is kind of perfectly right. comedic in a way. Yeah. I, it just felt like, or I mean, I, my perception of it was that they were going for the whore at the end, but that is an interesting reading. I, I, I didn't see it that but way. It's but all, it's also just, just that, uh, the, and, and the way it segues into Halloween is, is the kind of ubiquitousness of Billy. He is, mm-hmm. uh. He is a force. He is a presence. A shape, uh, if which, you will. A shape. <laughs> yeah. Well, because he's so abstract. Yeah. He's exactly. just an eye right. or a hand, mm-hmm. uh, or or you know, yeah, or just a shadow. Right. With with no backstory. At least Michael has backstory, right? We get more. Mike, of Michael has person. all the backstory that that Billy didn't right, right up front. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, no, but you're right. That the ending of Halloween is is very much the ending of Black Christmas, where it's like. You know, we see Olivia Hussey like waking up from her dream or she was passed out or whatever it was. And then camera kind of like moves out of the room, goes into some other spaces where murders had happened and whatever. And it, there's everything is empty. And we're still under the impression that Keir DeLay was the one who d- was doing all this stuff. Or right, was supposed right. to be anyway. And then we get the reveal that they're up in the attic. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is similar to how Halloween ends. Which it's just like you know, we see all the places where Michael mm-hmm. was terrorizing people, uh, but he's not there. So where the hell is right. he? Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess that's a. It, it is a twist, and it isn't. Uh, which one? Uh, that Keir Delay is is not the killer. Because I mean, I, I feel like he kind of. It, it's kind of telegraphed that he's not. I feel like he was the killer as much as the guy in uh, "Someone's Watching Me." Uh, okay, Uncle Uncle Leo was yeah. the killer. You know, it was the same. Yeah. He, he was just a guy that they caught. <laughs> yeah, a yeah. guy. Yeah. You know, he, right? He, so actually, like like Black Christmas and "Someone's Watching Me." Yeah, were actually, pretty similar. I mean, like you know, obviously yeah. that movie had a huge impact on John Carpenter. I mean, right. the way that the sort of stalker he wasn't as much of a serial killer the way that Billy was. He did kill people, uh, and someone's watching me. But anyway, but he was a caller, right? He wanted to, like, yeah, be involved. It, yeah, so he was doing a lot of calling, and a lot of harassment that way. Mm-hmm. And then, right. um, the there was a red herring character, but we didn't ever sort of see or understand who the killer slash harasser was in mm-hmm. someone's watching me, uh, the way that we didn't really in Black Christmas either. Mm-hmm. Right, right, and I guess I'd say someone's watching me is is very much more to the uh, owes more to the giallo uh, genre of of its it's it's just a man, uh, mm-hmm. he's a killer. Mm-hmm. You don't know who it is. There's always just like that uh, disembodied pair of black gloves doing things. I, I, I feel know. like I feel like Black Christmas feels like a giallo. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's true. That there wasn't like a uh, a supernatural aspect to it the way that Halloween has supernatural aspects to it. Right, right. I mean, and again, it's all, it's all, uh, Black Christmas is, is all kind of the, the perfect nexus of all those uh, genres and, and taking, taking things to the next level, which it, it uh, Halloween then picks up the baton and takes it even further, you know. Mm-hmm. So let's, uh, let's move on to Mustafa Akkad presents John Carpenter's <laughs> Halloween. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, we start with, I don't know what, one of the most impressive shots uh, in. In this in, genre, in the, opening, the opening shot. Well, you let's mean? start with the most iconic music in in uh, film history. That's true. Um, which, uh, as as much as I, I love the opening of, of Black Christmas, 
it's a far more again kind of ubiquitous you know it's the, there's this classic uh, tubular bells music or whatever not tubular bells that's exorcist but anyway uh-huh. um, no but it, it is kind of similar it sounds it, it, like it, that it, it feels like you know give me something yeah. tubular bells like oh yeah. I, I got you <laughs> <Yeah>. right here <laughs> um that very much sets the the, the eerie tone right um, which, which then, is actually real quick that, that's something that you know even though as you're pointing out michael with the music in black christmas as good as it was and then obviously as iconic as the music became for friday the 13th especially the sort of thing right right the music in this one it it takes it to the next level and then it's like you you know are hearing that keyboard and are instantly put in that mindset of like oh shit something's happening you know right right the build-up like you know you know something's gonna go wrong as soon as you start seeing that shot heading toward the house even though it's a pov even though you don't know what's going on yet because you're, you've been uh, sort of primed by the music, mm-hmm. the way that right, maybe right. Uh, you know Black Christmas had, had to do it in the sense of like having that shaky Evil Dead or what would become the Evil Dead cam. But right. uh, with Halloween, you were able to do that uh, simply with the music, with the title sequence. Yeah, the title right. Sequence. We have we haven't even seen anything by this point, right? When we start hearing the ha- Halloween theme, right? Yeah. It just it's just the pumpkin, right? Which is exactly how they did it with um, uh, John Carpenter did it with uh, Assault. Getting right. you ready to rock and roll on that one with, with that. <laughs> like, yeah, Carpenter, uh, you know, uh, and, and I feel like that that's that's one of his signature things that, um, you know, and he, ironically, he is now more known for is is his music um, mm. and and that it, it is kind of the perfect signature uh, for setting the the tone and and telling you kind of exactly the movie that you're going to see, I got to see John Carpenter do twenty of his uh, tracks live at the Hollywood Palladium a couple Halloweens ago. It was I did too wow. in 2017. It was, was one of the best magical. concerts I've ever been to in my life. Like it was, yeah. it was awesome. They played all the hits, Halloween, <laughs> be, no, you know, was, Big Trouble phenomenal. in Little China. But yeah, I think that this, well, it, it goes back to Assault, like you said. The gravitas, as you called it, right? The like the uh, the action, everything is is set immediately once you start right. hearing that sound, and it's music you can listen to later. Mm-hmm. That's like I always thought John Carpenter was different because I wouldn't be able to listen to the theme of Friday the Thirteenth <laughs> yeah. like, in my car. But <laughs> right. any any of his themes from his movies and his scores, I would listen to all of them. I mean, uh, unless it's the disco uh, track from Part Three, anyone can listen to that shit in the car. And rock <laughs> there you go. No, no, but, but but you're right. It, it psychologically like primes you to get in the right space to, to yeah. get the movie started, and right. you know this one. I mean, actually, in in, in a lot of his uh, his most iconic movies and, and some of his best movies, that's what ends up happening, right? It's mm-hmm. like assault the thing, uh, you know, Prince of Darkness, Halloween, They Live, etc. Well, I, and I was gonna say the music for Halloween and then subsequently Friday is just in terms of, of a film uh, and, and a, uh, um, a franchise is perfectly branding them and giving them the perfect signature sound mm-hmm. um, that you then associate with those characters as, as opposed to all the giallos and stuff that had come before that. Um, even though there are, there are characters in there, um, the, the music hadn't branded them in a way like, like these two movies ended up doing. Yeah, and I, and I love the way that even the Stingers and Halloween all um, are, they all are originated from that 
score, that original piano score of the Halloween soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Like even those right. little little moments, you know, when they'd peek around a corner and Michael would be standing there, and then they'd yeah. look away to be gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. My rendition was awesome. That all stemmed from that like original score, you know, like so it was yeah. all that mm-hmm. an extension of that original thing. So you're, you know, you're placed in that mode. Um, listening to that music and then you still get little pieces of that music throughout and then even mm-hmm. the individual pieces you know you've got Lori's theme I think that's what they call them and like all their individual themes all that stuff right. works and it gives you know a, bi- a bigger I don't know presence to each of the characters when they're on screen right right well and I was gonna say because uh, Black Christmas does do that to some extent because uh, I think they, they could have very easily gone and had a, an orchestral score uh, applied to it, but they chose to do a much more experimental score, um, and like I like I said, using all kinds of different things to make all kinds of sounds, um, and and the soundscape uh, really kind of gives you a much more eerie uh, sense of foreboding throughout the film, mm-hmm. um, and especially the like the wind is put in a lot in Black Christmas uh, to kind of give you that that eerie empty sense. Uh, that that Billy kind of pervades over everything. You know, he's he's that uh, that that death has has come to this house sort of thing. Um, and again, and then Halloween takes it a step further. And like you said, the music is kind of like the shark in Jaws is is keyed mm-hmm. in by the dun 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 dun. Like that is that is the shark much more than the shark is in the movie. But, but that's what I, I wanted to talk about, though, like how different Billy was. Billy was kind of, he was just up there and, and climbed up into the attic. In this one, the headquarters was uh, Michael Myers' old home, you know, in right. Halloween. And he goes back there and he's eating dogs and eating, um, well, <laughs> I guess hungry. wild animals, right? He's like, he must have been hungry or whatever Donald right. Pleasant says at one point. It's still warm. He got hungry. No, you're right. I. <laughs> he's got that the house he's got the like uh he, he's got a little of that thing that uh i don't know what, what was in the, um the orca movie right where it's like he uh-huh. imprints on Lori, and then right. uh you know all of a right. sudden like is now like coming after her you know because he you know she drops off the key and, and then we see his sort of semi point of view in the house and you hear like the, the breathing so is that the yeah. moment is that the moment that he decides that Lori is his target I, I guess so. It seems I mean, like isn't that the first time he sees her? Does he see her at school first? I can't remember. Or does he follow her to school? No, because that's when she's walking to school. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then he starts following her, but he also starts right. following uh, the kid that's with her as well. Um, right, right, right. That kid, yeah. you know. Right, right, Billy right. um, or Tommy. 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 Yeah, Tommy. Tommy. I was gonna say it, Tommy. It would be Tommy weird Tommy if his name was Billy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But he, he, he only follows those two people at first, you know, like he actually, you know, bumps into the bullies that are messing with Tommy at one point, right? The, the right, one, the one right. kid actually bumps into another cool stinger. <laughs> Ironically, leaves yeah. them the fuck alone and uh, goes, goes after the innocents. But, but those are the only two people that Michael's following. That's why I was wondering, is, well, because, is her well, going to his house? Wasn't he following Tommy that, because... That's what uh, I'm asking, is... Like, he, like Tommy was with Lori? She was walking with Tommy I, I to school, so. walking yeah. him to school... And she went up to the house. He's like, no, don't go up there. That's the, where the boogeyman lives. She dropped off the key. Right. We see him looking at her through the window and breathing, mm-hmm. right? But I, I was going to ask you, is that the moment when he's like, her? Like, I'm going to kill I, her I think now. so. I think, I think because Tommy kind of resembles Michael as a child. Um, and he sees, he, he's, he, sees, he sees their relationship. And that, that triggers something in him. So yeah. she's Judith. 
she she's his sister right. yet again and that's like his right. ser- the serialization of his kills right the i'm gonna kill my sister again well, I'm it, gonna kill my it's sister. interesting in this one like uh ignoring all the sequels and to talk about this movie it's like his motivations are are a mystery in in certain yes. ways now I, yeah. I think it's an interesting mystery in that like you know like you're, you're saying brian like your, your theory was that maybe you know he sees tommy and himself and you know uh judith and laurie and you know wanting to kind of reenact this on this night and uh, right. all that kind of stuff inhumanly patient <laughs> <laughs> Blackest eyes. Yeah. Staring, waiting, <laughs> not seeing the wall. Waiting for this night. Uh, but... And you let him out. <laughs> for Christ's sake, he doesn't know how to drive. Yeah. He was, he doing, was doing very, very, well, very well, last well last night. <laughs> Sam Haddonfield is 150 miles away from here now. Now, for God's sakes, he can't drive a car. He was doing very well last night. Maybe someone around here gave him lessons. <laughs> Well, and, and I, I was going to say that that actually brings up another point. Um, well, I, 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 we won't go too far off, off tangent, but um, I was going to say I actually prefer the television version well, there's of more Halloween, scenes. which yeah, and it's like usually those kind of shift focus away from something else, but but in this case, I, I think it actually did a good job, uh, a better job of of setting up uh, Michael and and uh, Loomis's Loomis. relationship. Yeah. Because um, doesn't doesn't see, he go to court see, for him? Doesn't isn't he like in? He's he's at a hearing for it, mm-hmm. um, and he's he's just like you have to keep him here forever mm-hmm. because you know he's too dangerous to let out, and it's it's a very quiet kind of subtle scene, and I, I really like it a lot. It really adds, I think, a a level of eeriness. Uh, even seeing Michael as a, as a, I guess maybe a, I I don't know if he's a, a child at that point. I think he might be a preteen. Um, just mm-hmm. staring off. It kind of reminded the, me of the, the beginning distance. of Psycho Two when they're tr- when yeah. they're letting Norman out. It was that kind of same. Um, oh right. Same setup. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it, it made me think of, actually a little bit of uh, that scene in Manhunter when um, Will Graham is talking to his son in the grocery store about uh-huh. how he figured out uh, Lecter was the killer. It doesn't overplay it. Uh, the way that scene doesn't overplay that. They're the ugliest uh, thoughts in which, the world. Which 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 then was horribly overplayed in Red Dragon. But um, <laughs> just looking at remaking something and, and having it not uh, uh, go well. But but anyway, um, no. But I, I just I I just wanted to point out like I, I like that scene a lot uh, in the television cut of Halloween that they, yeah. they put back into the DVD because it, it does have that kind of subtlety to it. I I know what you mean, and I I think they're they're interesting scenes, and they do kind of lend some of that texture to the world mm-hmm. uh but ultimately you don't need them and, and they and they feel like they should be deleted scenes i mean because they weren't for the movie and they, they just kind of pad the thing out but sure but there is something nice about them yeah yeah yeah, yeah i think i think donald pleasant's gave enough of his backstory with michael to the, totally who he totally, was talking exactly. to right yeah. Yeah. right 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 i mean i i, I again it just it gives it it gives it a, a kind of a, a bit more of a build-up uh, for what's coming, and you don't have to rely entirely on on Pleasance. Well, you could always you know. go to the Rob Zombie cut and uh, watch. Uh, <laughs> but again, yeah, hour too, of, of too the much. Sun. Yeah, too much. Yeah. Um, more fancy talk. Yeah, um, more fancy talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I just wanted to to, to draw a couple uh, connections to Psycho real quick. I mean, I, you know, obviously, the biggest one is uh, casting the daughter of the star of Psycho. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But you know. In the opening shot, during the sort of uh, what's become a sort of an I- iconic uh, scene, much like the shower scene, we see 
Michael killing Judith and the shot of the knife coming down uh, on screen is this almost the exact same as what we see. Right. Uh, weird angle. A, a little bit in the shower scene, but more so when uh, Norman is killing Martin Balsam at the foot of the mm. stairs. Right, because it's almost like he looks up at it and then yeah, exactly. Down, right? he, he's more fascinated with the knife than mm-hmm. uh, than, than you know where it's going. Mm-hmm. Right, the, the way he cocks his head after he kills Bob. Yeah, um, it's, you know, he's, yeah. he's just sort of like, yeah, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, no, you could do that. And and he he does that uh, mid slicing in the opening scene of this one. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. As he's killing his sister, he's like looking at the knife. And going, yeah. Huh, that's funny. <laughs> Look at that. He's like, this, this would make a great angle if I were to shoot this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. Uh, but then, oh, uh, oh, I wanted to say the other mm-hmm. uh, direct connection was with Sam Loomis, which mm-hmm. is uh, right. uh, Vera Miles' boyfriend, right? Uh, John John Gavin in Psycho. Yeah. And uh, what does uh, Loomis uh, do in Psycho? Where does he work? At a hardware store. Uh, oh, does is, he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Loomis Hardware, which is, uh, wow. you know. Oh, I forgot about that. Where Charles Cipher is investigating. Like, they only took rope <laughs> yeah. and uh, a couple knives and a mask. Yeah. An Halloween mask. Yeah. <laughs> These kids. <laughs> These kids, yeah, exactly. Kids around Halloween. Yeah. What, what does he say? Everybody's entitled to you... one good yeah, scare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and then, you know, when you get to, the, get to sort of the end of the movie and Laurie... Is discovering the, the the fun house of horrors uh, in, you know, Michael uh, his like artistic arrangement of all the bodies, and right. he gets surprised by her. That you get that sort of slash in the arm, and she she falls down the stairs, and and that felt very similar to Psycho as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I was gonna say, and it's it's kind of similar. And one movie that I kind of forgot to mention uh, before Black Christmas was, of course, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of. Uh, I mean, same may, year maybe that's Christmas, more. Right? Uh, what I said, same, same year. Same year. Uh, Black Christmas, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, which is interesting. I think it might have been the the first major guy wearing a, a mask. Although, it's, is it a mask if it's a human face? <laughs> still um, a mask. Yeah. Still, still a mask. mask. Still, yeah. still a mask. Yeah. Human leather. Face. Yeah. Okay. He had a human leather. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he dried it out. Right. <laughs> anyway, yeah. No, it's just uh, uh, interesting um, the way that that leather face. Uh, is 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 kind of uh, also one of the fathers of, of Michael Myers. Um, you know, he's also kind of a, a deaf mute, um, or not not a deaf mute, but uh, he's, he's muted. He's he doesn't he doesn't say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but where you whereas you can see Leatherface's eyes, uh, you you can't really see Michael Myers' eyes most of the time. No, but we you know. we do see Michael's face at the end of this, and I I right. always question why. Because there's nothing establishing what he would look like as an adult. You know, we, we could see him as a kid right at the beginning. Was that to match the first shot of the parents coming home and seeing, you know, little mm-hmm. Michael with a bloody knife in his hand taking the clown mask off? Mm-hmm. It's a reveal Kinda. that it's a yeah. kid, right? But in this one, we just see the adult. I never understood why they took it off unless it was somebody like if Charles Cyphers was under the Michael Myers mask. Right, like that would have <laughs> right, been like, right, a, right, whoa, right. you know. It's, but it's it's definitely not not a reveal like that. I mean, it's not a Scooby Doo reveal, but I think it shows that he's human. Gives him a hu- human. Is it a human thing? I, I think it's proven so. that he's not. There's not. There's not going to be a reveal about who he is. Right. right. He's just someone. He's not. Oh, it's actually Doctor Loomis the whole time, or <laughs> it's not. Uh, yeah, Charles Cipher yeah. the whole time. No, that 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 is an interesting question because it it I don't really feel like it serves any dramatic purpose. 
Like it, it just, it just sort of shows that, that it, it shows that the damage that she did. It, it shows that yeah, she, it you know, shows he has kind of a fucked up eye. Well, but because like, she did that, right? She stuck, mm-hmm, she stuck right. the the wire or the wire hanger the, the in his hanger. eye, and then she stabbed him later. But with the no, she stabbed so, him first. But yeah, uh, that's right. So he's yeah, he's pretty right. damaged. I guess that that was a way to show some of the damage on him, like that maybe that I would guess, give her yeah, a way like, out. You know, like I, oh, I, he I, must yeah. be too damaged. He he won't catch her. You know, to give her. Well, and I I think I think maybe also it might. Uh, kind of set you up for when Loomis shoots him um, off the balcony. Like, oh, okay, he's dead. He's just a man. He's dead. He's done. Uh, and then when he's not there, mm-hmm. it's it's that much more shocking mm-hmm. you know, of reveal. Well, it, they were doing that thing that future slasher movies would do, uh, and, and not to the same effect. But in this one, it's like they kept getting a reprieve from him because, you know... He like stabbed the couch, you know. She stabbed him in the neck. Okay, whew, he's dead. Yeah, I'm running upstairs. Right. Make sure the kids are okay. Oh no, he's he's not dead. Yeah, and like she's coming after him again. Stabbed him in the eye. Oh, thank God he's dead. Okay, kids, run across the street, and then you know. Oh, I'm wait. gonna sit yeah, in the he, doorway with my back to him. Yes, uh, yeah. it'll be fine. Yeah, <laughs> I'm having you run for your lives. There's no way he's gonna be able chill. to do a sit up like that. You know, I, I don't believe it. But that is a <laughs> hell of a great shot, though, right? Yeah. That, like, oh, it's it's beautiful. Oh, I mean, it's 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 a signature it's iconic. iconic moment. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and then you know, Loomis blows him away. Okay, finally he's gone, right? And and then they they have a conversation real quick about like that was the boogeyman, yeah. right? And then as a matter of fact, it was. Matter of fact, it was. And then looks over the the balcony and oh, wait a minute, where is he? Is gone. he here? Is he there? Is he here? Is he there? Uh, he's he's nowhere, right? And, right. you know, I think all of that was to reinforce this idea that, no, he, he's he's sort of not a human. He is the boogeyman. Like, he, you know, right. obviously a human couldn't take that much punishment. Right. You know, falling off the balcony alone, get, getting shot four times in the chest alone, getting, you know, half a foot of a knitting needle in your neck. I mean, even the like, <laughs> thing in the eye. I mean, it's like... Right. You're dead. It, it, it's all too much. Anyone yeah. else would be dead, right? Yeah, yeah. H- humans would die, but mm-hmm. not the boogeyman, not right. not Michael Myers, who's right, who's got black eyes, the doll eyes, or whatever. Yeah, that's <laughs> the, the shark's the eyes. Isn't that eyes. the same? Like almost the same speech <laughs> that that Quint gives, right? Yeah, like it, yeah. it sounds very, real very similar. similar yeah. yeah. You know the thing about a shark? He's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eyes. When he comes at you, he doesn't seem to be living. Until he bites you, rip you to pieces. <laughs> this isn't a man. Um, <laughs> no, but and then it, and then it is reinforced by by his breathing over all the the shots of all the yeah. mm-hmm. the various lo- locations in the movie. Um, you know, just to, again reaffirm that ubiquity of, of him as a a presence. You know, ever present. I found this uh, reading some trivia that, and I've never noticed, I've seen this movie a dozen times at the very least, Halloween. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When Michael is behind the bush and uh, Annie and Lori see him and he steps Steps behind the bush, uh right? And, you know, Annie runs over and starts talking shit. There's a big cloud of smoke that comes out. Oh, right. Because Carpenter was sitting back there smoking a cigarette. Carpenter was sitting too close to the camera. (laughs) I've never seen that. Subtle, isn't he? I, I do love in the commentary that he was just like, That's hilarious. Yeah, here's the uh, completely unprofessional director smoking too close to the camera. <laughs> <You'd> think... <laughs> Could have got another shot, but yeah. totally fucked nope. my own I had to shot. do like 30 more setups that day. Like, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Move on. Yeah. I, I've no, never that, seen that. That's the thing. 
Um, if you go to that that neighborhood in Pasadena, I was looking for a picture when you were texting earlier, and I was like, "Damn it! I know I took a picture of it, but I couldn't find it." A lot of a lot of the neighborhood behind the hardware store and the Myers house is where Lori's uh, neighborhood is, mm-hmm. and they shot a lot of stuff around there. And, and it, it's not that exact neighborhood, but um, they, they shot a lot of stuff in, in and around Pasadena in that mm-hmm. area. Uh, and you can just yeah. turn a corner here and there, and, and like all the different locations are right there, yeah. um, including the bush itself. And I was like, wow, I didn't think it'd survive all these years, but it's all right there. So they were probably uh, you know, going as fast as they possibly could to get as much stuff done. And here I thought they shot on location in rural Illinois or wherever, <laughs> suburbs right, yeah. of Illinois. I know. Why Why they wouldn't just set it in uh, uh, California is, is a bit of a mystery, but I guess because they wanted to have the, the leaves and fall and everything, and can't really have that in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. You may think they scare me, you're probably right. Black cats and goblins on Halloween night. Check or treat! The perfect uh, transitioning is, is the, the ending of, of Myers being everywhere. Um, like, Billy is still in the house, Myers is is now an, an omnipresence uh, in the world, mm-hmm. and um, even though he's he's brought back for many sequels, the kind of longevity I feel of Halloween part of it is that ending, um, you know that that uh, really gives you a, a sense of dread that uh, this character is 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 everywhere now, um, and uh, and Friday the Thirteenth kind of picks up that baton and yeah I, I agree I think the villains in these movies or the killer has, is is evolved from someone that we don't know anything about. We just know his voice and his eye right. to uh, Michael Myers, who we see a backstory of him for, you know, the, the intro of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get to know who he is. You know, he doesn't speak or anything, but at the same time, right. he, he has, he has virtually no personality at all, but, but we know who this person is and we know what his personality is, which is uh, a shark, right? It's going to just right. hunt you down mm-hmm. and kill you. And then exactly. in Friday the 13th, we're 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 given a, a big backstory as to you know what happened at this camp and all this stuff. And when we meet the killer, she's actually a, a well-spoken, almost pleasant person that you you right. would never think in a million years to, to be the killer, right? It was a complete departure from these um, previous um, villains. And I think right. uh, Mrs. Voorhees uh, really nails the the villain. Uh, I think she's killer mommy. Fantastic. Oh man. And she gets close-ups of her bad teeth. Yeah, like, yeah. Man, like it was. She's she's, she's the perfect inverse of Norman Bates. Um, yeah. Where 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 Norman is all about his mother, the mother is mm-hmm. all about the child mm-hmm. here, and uh, yeah, it's just a complete total reversal. No, it's true. And and tying that in real quick, I, I mean, I, obviously, um, the assignment for uh, the writer of this one, uh, what was his name? Um, Victor Miller. Victor Miller was hey go watch Halloween and rip it off. Right. Right. And you know, he did that in a lot of ways, but it, the, the, uh, extra credit was, uh, Hey, go take psycho and rip that off too. Mm-hmm. And you know, which, which obviously is a spiritual sequel to Halloween and, and Black by Christmas and sort of all these movies. But, you know, even down to like the fake Bernard Herman score that opens yeah. the movie <laughs> and like the, op- with the opening title and all that. And it, it even has, it has like almost the, it's, it's like the royalty-free music library version of the, yeah, the exactly. psycho strings. Just a like, little different. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. It's half of an homage and, and half a pure ripoff. Um, right. And again, uh, it, it, taking taking from uh, Halloween, I, I thought rather well was was the, uh, uh, the 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 one the one man band with Henry Manfredini doing all that music with 
the synthesizer as well, um, and uh, throwing in all kinds of weird things like his voice going, having having uh, again the the music be this this signature piece for well, the it, killer. It's funny because like okay, like definitely that the the sort of like instead of doing the just the repetitious breath of the the killer it the score kind of does some of that for you and that obviously becomes the iconic sound from the movie and the franchise i guess um yeah not necessarily just this movie but um you know but obviously there was a lot of like uh other places where they're like hey can you just give me some of that psycho music or like (laughs) the first time we are it's it's either the first scene where we see the jeep driving away or like when the jeep picks up the chick who was supposed to be the kitchen helper or whatever mm-hmm. the score is 100% a jaws rip off hey wasn't that the road up for camp crystal lake back there you know mm-hmm. it's just like the da 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 you know <laughs> but yeah. but like you know in in uh, with no two i mean it's notes. it's a kitchen sink movie uh, yeah. for sure of of everything that had come before it um, and just desperately trying to to emulate anything that worked in anything yeah. else, which I I mean from from a, a you know a, a purely business standpoint, what um, was was not a bad idea on their part, you know. <laughs> yeah, you um, just rip something off. It's not a bad idea. No, right. because I think it took the ideas of these previous films, but then added its own layer of it, it polish. Just, yeah, especially exactly. with it, the effects and everything. Like this did not hold back on the gore. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was gonna say that's that's another Halloween thing that that they stole is because it, it starts in 1958 and I think Halloween starts in. 60, I would argue that's more of a Black Christmas thing. Although they, I know what you mean by the back uh, flashback, but it feels more like Black Christmas, the beginning of Friday the Thirteenth, than it does Halloween. I feel like that's yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean it it, it definitely. Uh, I guess I guess Friday also uses a bit of the the psychological horror. Uh, aspect uh, much more than the, than the straight up slasher that it became later, you know, because you're 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 still it, there's still a, a giallo sensibility to it. Mm-hmm. Of you don't really know who's who's killing all these people, and they they do um, a little bit of um, you know it could be this guy, it could be the the jealous one that wa- runs around with the the headdress right. on, right? He's he's always seeing the other couples making out, and he's got mm-hmm. this like jealous thing going on. They don't really get into that though too heavy, and you you don't really wonder who it is. It's just some um, invisible figure, you know. And then when, right, you, when right. you meet just... who it is, it's well, like I, actually real quick. So I, I that, that's an interesting thing because like for me, so this is the first time I've seen Friday the Thirteenth all the way through. Uh, Come on, I, yeah, never oh. seen it. <laughs> In fact, that's amazing. The first one shame, I saw all the way shame, through, double shame, was the one we watched with Johnny with uh, with takes Eight? Manhattan or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That was the first one you saw. Okay, all, all the way through. I saw anyway. I, I mean, so what did you I, think yeah. of Friday the Thirteenth? Well, so I, I I was kind of into it. Like the definitely the first act, you're you're into it, and you're, you're kind of like getting excited about what's going on. And after the reveal of mommy, it starts to get interesting again. But like, man, it really sags in the middle for me. Uh, interesting. Well, yeah, because you know, there's like nothing hanging, holding it together. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. Except a strip monopoly game. There's really yeah, nothing strip, strip monopoly, <laughs> right. and you know yeah. exactly like uh, wandering from cabin to cabin, and yeah. I, yeah, I agree. Watching it again, I was like, okay, you know, get to it, get to it, get to it. And and what I was gonna say about that was like, like you were saying that the killer was just kind of coming from nowhere, and for me, I was like, I was thinking, 
I mean, I, I knew what the big reveal was. Uh, I, I had that sort of spoiled for me, but like the whole time it seemed like they were pointing at either having uh, Ralph, the the you know sort of special needs person uh, in in town, or listen I to re- that guy, right? Why why don't people listen to that guy? He told them not to yeah, go, just yeah. go home. Well, I, actually, everyone kept saying that, but but um, yeah, <laughs> it, it was it was either that guy or the guy with the mustache who went into yeah. town for supplies. Christie, yeah, Mr. Christie, Cr- Mr. Yeah. Christie. So right. I was like, I I thought okay, especially because like the the misdirection was supposed to be the jeep, right? Because they were driving the same car. Right. And then, right, and then right. you know, oh, is it Ralph? Is it Ralph? Is it Ralph? Now, I, you know, I think uh, obviously those were red herrings, and I, sure. I, I wasn't fooled by it. But I, I think that's what, what you were supposed to believe was that, like, you were supposed to think that those things were e- either those two people were the, were the killer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, those, those were just presented as, as kind of possibilities. Although, it, it again, you know, Friday, you, 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 you can't give it too much credit, I guess, for trying to be too sophisticated, because it's really not trying to be. It's it's really, I mean, and, you know, as, you know, I, I think you'd be the first to admit that, you know, it's 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 just giving you kind of exactly what Halloween gave you, um, but kind of But not without, really, because um, during, like, what John Carpenter does so well is, like, give you something to cling on to in the middle bit there, right? It's, it's not just like, oh, no, did he escape, right, right. and then you get to the thrilling ending, but like you're caring about Lori and Tommy and like what, what the kids were up to, and, right, and what, right, what the right. teenagers were up to as well. In in this one with uh, Kevin Bacon and and all those you know teens just hanging out, it's like there's just like nothing happening. Like in even they the, didn't do the, anything. The, the, the killing is boring. Like the, the the people are boring. Like nothing's happening to them. None of them want anything. None of them are trying to do anything. So it it didn't like hold your attention in a way, and it, you're you're just kind of like for me, I, I felt right. like myself t- tuning out. But once we got to, like, we figured out Mrs. Voorhees and all these other things, it started getting interesting again. Although, what's interesting is, like, how in the other two movies, the, the killer doesn't seem to have any motivation whatsoever. In this one, it was all about uh, the motivation. Right, exactly. Right. And, and, and any counselor was the target. That was her motivation, right? right? Just was, because they fucking, were a counselor. Like, uh, a camp closed. You let him You're, die. Yeah. You let him die. You're drown. never going to open this you, thing again. You, you. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. And then it, it gets into something like kind of uh, seemingly supernatural at the end, or at least, or maybe it's just in her mind. Well, I mean, Confused yeah, that, 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 that. that was that was just a throwaway to to you know give give you a, a good thrill before you no, go at the theater. I understand like the mechanics of it, but like, like right, and and and, it, and I understand that like since it was her dream, she uh, was imagining this to be happening right. because of the story that the mom told her the night before. The boy. But, you know, it's also seemed to be so real to her that she expected the cop to have seen the boy in the lake or whatever. And that, in a way, it kind of does set up the rest of the franchise, which is that, like, this lake is sort of haunted by the boy now or whatever. Right, 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 right. Yeah, no, I mean, I was, I was going to say that the, um, you know, the, the, the reveal of Mrs. Voorhees, I, I guess, is, is not like they weren't trying to kind of set her up or anything. You don't meet her before that and she's she's really just a surprise okay right but but structurally you you felt like you you wanted her to be the like um woman at the diner who was trying to discourage the guy from going back or something like that you right, know what I mean? it's right. like you, you felt like you kind of wanted to see her before and be like oh oh it's her great she's here she's she's gonna save the day and or be killed because christy um he recognizes her 
And when he when she because she yeah. shines the the light on him, I think in uh-huh. the jeep, and he doesn't see, and he's like, "Who is that?" Or no, maybe with her flashlight, and he's like, "Oh, it's yeah, you. Like, oh, it's what you. are you doing here? How'd you get here?" And then it's that's it. That's all we right. see of any connection to to who's who's there, you know, or who that. Well, was. Right, and, right. and then when she shows up and she's like, she's talking to I, I can't remember who the last person is. Is it Alice? Was that the name of the character? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Um, and she tells. Mrs. Voorhees tells Alex, like, oh, I'm a friend of the Christies. And for me, I was like, who the fuck are the Christies? <laughs> yeah, they said his right. name Listen once. Listen to Fino. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is also, like, right after the other Big Lebowski scene for me, which is, like, she's sitting there reinforcing the hell out of the door, like, pushing everything she can. <laughs> the and then she opened it up and left. <laughs> yeah. Right. She's, like, tying a rope to the door and everything. And then, of course, yeah, she undoes it all and, like, like goes and runs bitch. She, hear, she hears one noise outside and, and undoes everything that she did. I'm like, you, did, you, you worked really yeah. hard on that. <laughs> yeah. I know. You're Well, I mean, it's like, and you're kind of you're hoping that she gets it. It's like... You know, she's acting like such an idiot. Uh, it's like of all the characters, why, why did, why did she make it? You know, um, but so now that we talked about the story of Friday the Thirteenth, <laughs> how about let's get into the meat and, and guts of of Tom Savini's effects? Did you have a favorite um, of the of the brutal killings? Well, I, I, yeah, I was, I was going to say that there's uh, there there are two killings in there that are taken almost directly from uh, Twitch of the Death Nerve, which. Um, again, one, one was, uh, the girl getting the meat cleaver, uh, in the forehead, um, the axe, the axe, right? Yeah. The, the axe, sorry. The, um, in, and in my Nerve, it's, axe, it's, 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 it's a, <laughs> and yeah, my bow, which, as well. which is really surprising, <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, in, in Twitch of the death nerve. Cause you're like, man, I did not. Wow. Okay. Damn. Um, and the same, uh, later in the movie, a, a woman gets her head chopped off. Uh, that looks surprisingly similar to uh, Mrs. Voorhees getting right. decapitated there. I did not see that one coming, by the way. If you yeah. if you look closely, the hand that comes up there that's like grabbing for the the missing head, uh-huh. it's a it's right. a it's a hairy hand, definitely <laughs> right. a male's hand. It, it's Sta- Tasso Stavrakis, the guy that works with Savini. He was the hand, right, in that, right, and right. it's just this black hair, like yeah. tons of hair on the knuckles and everything. It's really funny. Perfectly uh, uh, surreal, horrible image. Um, <laughs> But, yeah. She had man hands. She had man hands. Man hands? The hands of a man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> man hands, Jerry. Let me get that lobster. <laughs> I'll get that for you. Yeah. Oh, you got something on your face. Hang on. Make a wish. Okay. <laughs> Didn't come true. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, That's I forgot a funny one. <laughs> But, um, but no, but I mean, you know, all, all, all the effects, uh, in, in this are, are top notch and it is, uh, really unfortunate that a lot of them were pretty heavily censored when it came out. Um, mm. but I'll, I guess also a testament to the movie that people still really, really liked it despite, uh, a lot of the gore being kind of censored away. Yeah. Two of these movies were, were hits right away, but Black Christmas took some time to, to get off the ground, but it, it still became one of those hits later on. Yeah, I mean, like in, in its defense, yeah. it was it was mm-hmm. a Canadian co-production or something. That, but a Canadian you know, movie was, was... with a ton of American flags on screen, so they <laughs> right, appeal right, to right. the U.S. Yeah. audience. Def- definitely uh, knew what what uh, audience it was trying to, <laughs> yeah. to uh, entertain there. Um, no, but 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 you de- you definitely see like uh, I mean, essentially to your question, I mean you're you're seeing this huge ramp up, and you know what? Uh, we don't have much uh, story. 
to, to lean on here. But we got this, and we got True, you know, right, arrows yeah. through the neck and, uh, you know, slashing throats and mm-hmm. in the eye and all kinds of, uh, you know, gore and violence to, uh, I, I guess, yeah. give you something to cling on to other than uh, these uh, really rich and deep characters. No, no one, yeah, no one was, no one was talking about Alice and her backstory or anything, yeah. right? What was her name they, again? Yeah. They were talking about Kevin Bacon getting an arrow through his neck. Yeah. In, in terms, in terms of it being a ripoff. Yeah. Cause it, it goes its own path. Cause I mean, mm-hmm. I think they could have just as easily made Jason the, the killer in the first one. Sure. Cause they, they, they keep talking about this little boy that drowned. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of those like kind of head slapping moments <laughs> where, where you're like, why did they wait, you know? But but I'm glad they did, because it, it is such a, a shock when it's that twist of her. You know, well, it, her. it is interesting because, like, the entire town sees Camp Crystal Lake as this haunted place. Why right. would you yeah. want to go up there? Why would you want to go over and fuck around with that river? But Camp like, Blood. Camp it's Blood. Death curse. And, and the way the town thinks about it, they, they talk about it as if it's haunted. But as it turns out, no, no, it's just that there's a rational explanation. It's this uh, aggrieved and psychotic mother uh, going to make sure that the camp doesn't stay open. But then in the very, 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 very end of it, it actually does seem to be haunted, at least according to, you know, the projection that Alice is putting on there, you know. Mm, And like the way that the audience, like, you know, um, experienced it. Right. Yeah, um, and I, I think that's that's very much to, to Sean's credit um, that it, that he didn't take the completely obvious uh, path in in making Jason the killer right off the bat, um, mm-hmm. or even probably even considering Jason as the killer, because that 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 I don't think they they even knew knew how to make a sequel uh, right away, because it was like, well, what do we do? You know, Jason was just a figment of her imagination. It was just he was literally a jump scare. Uh, yeah, you know, afterthought. He wasn't wasn't well, even and, considered to be a, a character, really. So, and in this movie, it, it's gonna be hard for you guys because you've seen all the rest of them and you have a lot of them memorized. But like, if you could somehow disconnect that from any of the sequels, in this one in particular, we only ever see Jason in the mind's eye of Alice. Mm-hmm. We, we right. don't ever see it objective him objectively existing. Well, we see him in a flashback when Mrs. Voorhees is telling a story right. to Alice, and like, and oh. Alice is p- potentially imagining that. She's thinking that. it, yeah. And she's that's how we're seeing together. It. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's all correct, right? I mean, at least right. that, that's that's how I saw it. But like, right. but I think yeah. in this, like, there was some sort of either what was he supposed to be have? So what we see is this like sort of disfigured golem like character. Um, were we supposed to assume that's why he was neglected because you know he was sort of disfigured, or was it that he was drowned in the lake and therefore decomposing and all that? I mean, it, it gives it gives Mrs. Voorhees motivation for like why she hated the counselors because it was like, oh, he was special needs. You should have been watching uh-huh. him, you know. And and he's he's like desperately, frantically trying to swim and screaming, "Help me, mommy!" Right? You know, in her mind's eye, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, which which helps perpetuate her madness and need for revenge, and then it turns out it was it was real, which kind of kind of betrays it a little bit, but that, that's okay. So I I'd seen this movie a, a ton of times, like as a kid, and and I loved Tom Savini and all that, so I bought his books and I wanted to find out you know how he did the effects and all that stuff, and there mm-hmm. was a lot of photos of the work that he did on the character of Jason, 
mm-hmm. who's in the movie for a split second. Yeah. And, and if it's yeah. like 10 frames, I'd be surprised. You know, it's like one of those things. Right. right. I, I, much, much to uh, Ari uh, Lehman's uh, delight uh, that he's li- right. literally made an, an entire career out of those 10 frames. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they made up Ari's face as with a cleft lip and a misshapen head. And there was a lot to it. And there was like a lot of right. thought that went into it too. And it was like, well, you know, if, if there was all this work being done to it and you can hardly make out what he is, it's just a figure coming up out of the water really. Mm-hmm. And I even like watched it a couple of times and it's very, it's very hard to see exactly like all the work that went into yeah, it. Yeah. So there must've been an idea for backstory like that, you know, of, right. of him having, you know, certain disabilities, et cetera, you know, that they right. didn't really get into clearly with it, know, the narrative. It, yeah. Well, it, it is interesting because, like that was what I was assuming too, because I, I I was thinking about it last night after I finished watching the movie uh, for the first time. Uh, yeah. But like, I was thinking about okay, <laughs> if Jason was special needs and that that kind of gave an extra something for Mrs. Voorhees, then then like okay, it, it started to make sense to me. But then I was also thinking like, wait a minute, we only ever sort of see this through Alice's mind's eye. So she put that together. And exactly, and and like, and I I thought maybe I missed something. Where, where like Voorhees said, well, he was different or something. You know, I, maybe there was something there, but I, I don't, I didn't recall it. And, and anyway, that's what I mean. That's why, mm-hmm. like, you're, you're telling, uh, you know, your special effects guy, you're like, oh, this, this, the backstory right, of this right, kid right. says there's probably a lot off the page, or at least not in the movie that might have been yeah. on the page that didn't make it into the movie, and they right. wanted to just go for the kills, right? They just this is this is what's that's fun, true. Right? I, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I. I'm probably reading probably too much into it or whatever, and and you know I know it, exactly what you're saying. Now, but yeah. but it it is very interesting, and I, and I think I was kind of worried that the movie was going to end with a jump scare and just like be done, like cut to black type of thing. But at least they they kind of like threaded it through and, and made it kind of work. Um, but um, real quick, I I, I want to uh, just go over one quick thing I wanted to do on, on this movie um, before we sort of uh, wrap up. I, I know we're kind of heading to the end here, um, but. What was interesting was the, the sort of Ralph character in this, and I, I know he's just a total red herring, he's a complete nothing. Um, he is he is the Torgo of Friday the Thirteenth, <laughs> kind of the Torgo. But but what I, I what I, how I saw him just because of how he was dressed and everything, he looked a little like Dennis Weaver from Touch of Evil, who was the sort right. of motel keeper in that. Right, he's the like oh if they think that I'm gonna do that, they've got another thing coming. Right, he's that guy. Right, right, right. Who is this? Guy who's super creepy and super awkward around who? In a dusty old motel on the side of the road? Janet Lee, right? And and yep. it's just kind of a, a very loose connection, obviously. But it was just sort of the way that the uh, Ralph character was, was dressed and, and the way he was sort of presented and the way that he's kind of like spastic and whatever, the same way that the Dennis Weaver character was in... Um, in Touch of Evil. But I it, it got me thinking like, oh, I wonder if there was some sort of thread or, or you know just a, a little bit of uh connective tissue there because of the the janet lee and the motel in psycho as a sort of uh maybe doth of the cap to touch of evil may, may, yeah maybe an unconscious kind of uh nod yeah uh, to, to, to dennis weaver's uh spastic weirdo um who was a spastic weirdo around janet lee again i it's like right it, it was and, like, and it's crazy. in and of itself yeah. is is kind of the the kind of the the template for for norman bates and, right and her i'm the just a, just the, a year the night manager in this motel <laughs> yeah right um and, and you know and and the dentist we I, I you know it's probably been a long time since you've seen it but like he's very awkward and he, he like he he's obviously very attracted to janet lee and then 
you know, he he has a lot of trouble articulating himself and talking about like the like her going to sleep and you know, I he won't name right, certain right. things. It's it, it's very interesting, like that how two years later, Norman Bates would be acting very similar around Janet yeah. Lee. Right, and and I I mean I I assume Hitchcock probably saw that it was a Universal movie. You know, he's probably around. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, that's true. For the shooting Same of studio. it, even. Um, so yeah. Okay. Well, it, that was a fun little tangent. Um, but uh, does anybody else want to do anything to kind of like draw this whole thing together? Because I think you know, obviously, Friday the Thirteenth in a way becomes yeah the sort of er slasher, and even more so than Michael Myers, like the hockey mask and a blade of some kind, a machete or you know, big knife. It is what everyone thinks of. And that's the, that's the classic Halloween costume. That's like you know, everything parodied that look, um, which obviously they they kind of took from the Michael Myers template, and then they kind of you know yeah grew out of all three of these movies. Um, but yeah, in, in, anything you want to uh, to take us out on? Yeah, well, I, I I mean, I guess just following the evolution of those three films. And like I said, you could probably just leave the Halloween franchise at the first one, and it's perfect. Yes. Because it, I mean, well, and, and what Halloween does wrong, what Friday the 13th gets right in its future franchise mm-hmm. um, is that the, the, there's a very clear mythology for Jason established. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Michael Myers, they, they keep trying to reinvent the wheel, and they keep trying to bring up all these other kind of ideas into it, and it just muddles the 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 muddies the water too much mm-hmm. and, and muddles the story too much whereas jason it's it's a very clear i mean it's it it takes time to get there because jason just sort of appears in the second one and goes from there one of the best uh, entrances of a serial killer in any movie period but we'll talk about those at a different time no but, but you're right I, I like like halloween like definitely comes to a perfect end and you kind of don't want more but because it was so successful they're like make more yeah and then friday the 13th like finds a way to create a new mythology in that last like five minutes of like her waking up from her dream and like right and all, right. all those things of setting up the curse and like the or actually coming back to the curse like we were talking about yeah yeah i mean and again like i was saying if you could if you could just watch the end of halloween to sort of like the, the spiritual birth of the serial slasher you know friday the 13th kind of picks it up perfectly with the mother taking up the reins, and then she dies, and then Jason takes up the reins, and and then becomes the the, the uber killer of of the real world. Because even Freddy was was just a a figment of of everyone's imagination, killing them. Oh yeah, that that whole kind of uh, convoluted mm-hmm. mythology. But but Jason was was very clearly uh, the guy, you know, just going around murdering people for for no reason. And and I mean, it, it like I said, it takes time to kind of figure out what his deal is why he's even alive, uh, how he's this monstrous, huge creature that can do this, and where was he all this time, and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and it does get a little confused, and it does, it does uh, kind of muck up the waters a bit here and there, but basically it keeps the through line of him and his mother. And going, going back to Psycho, that's, that's kind of a perfect arc and genesis yeah. of that killer with the uh, Freudian uh, problems. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. All, all, all comes back to family. Well said. Well, thank you for joining us again, Michael. This was great. Thank you. Yeah, this was uh, was a lot of fun. Uh, These are obviously very important movies to me. Yeah. um, (laughs) Who couldn't tell? (laughs) They're 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 well situated in my unconscious. So oh yeah, I've had a lot of lot of years to think about them. (laughs) Anyway, thanks for having me. For sure. 
Uh, next time, we will be continuing our October Scary Frights uh, discussions <laughs> with three horror noir films. We are yes. bringing back a, uh, a guest of ours, Alex Vlahov, and uh, we're going to be watching Nightmare Alley, The Seventh Victim, and The Amazing Mr. X. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I'm, re- I'm really excited about this. I, I know we kind of uh, actually teased this several months ago when you brought up like, oh, I wonder if there are any horror noirs. It's quarterly. And, yeah, this is how yeah, we do things. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> Alex is like, nope, we've, we've got you covered. So <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to, uh, to this one. And uh, I, I haven't seen any of these movies, so it'll be exciting. Yeah, that's going to be a great one. Um, so stay tuned. So thank you so much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe and follow us on all the podcasts and social platforms at the Grindhouse Institute. And if you really want to give us a boost, check us out on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It helps us to get noticed. Thanks so much, everybody. We will be back next week. Ciao. Excuse me, Lori. Oh, Mr. Brackett, I'm sorry, Mr. Brackett. Oh, I didn't mean to startle you. That's all right. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh?